Blessed are you, Adonai, God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, Adonai, God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and the mouth of your people, the house of Israel. May we and our offspring and our offspring's offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us, know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people, Israel. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you, Hashem, for the ability to study God's holy word. Amen. And this uh, portion that we study today on Shabbat Kohamoed of, um, of Sukkot is one of my favorites. It's uh, from Shemot 33. I know I say that all the time. But uh, you should know that it's true this time. It's true every time. This is indeed one of my favorite. that Hashem is talking to us, and, as, as, and uh, he, Moses tells God, I want to see your glory. And as I've said in many drashas and years past on this particular um, topic, <clears throat> that what God constitutes as, as his glory is quite different than what you and I would often think. Very often we, when we think about the glory of God, we think about majesty, we think about miracles, we think about earth, earthquakes, thunders, and lightning. God considers his glory his attributes, that he's a God that's full of mercy and compassion, that he believes in peace, he believes in love, he believes in, in uh, giving people the benefit of the doubt, he, he believes in uh, forgiveness, and even though people uh, sin against him continually, that he's continually offering them his forgiveness and his charity. That is the glory of God, and I, I think it's worth uh, our time to remember that. I also want to point out something that Mikael was reading in the 34th chapter of Shemot here, of Exodus, where God was talking about uh, breaking down the altars uh, and the Asherah poles of uh, the pagans. And uh, he didn't say that... Um, to, to bring it into your house and make, make it into a, a, a decoration, right? He also said not to eat of their, fest, of their feasts, of their festival foods. Don't eat of what uh, they offer when they, they invite you over to, uh, hey, come to our party. We're going to have, we're going to have a festival to this, this idol, to this God, and we want you to come. And all, there's a big spread of food there. And you say, well, I'm going to go, but I'm not going to worship your idol, but I'll, I'll enjoy the buffet, right? And, uh, and you're not allowed to do that, not allowed to enjoy the buffet. Um, as, as the scripture has taught and sages later emphasize that that's the table of demons, right? It's the food of demons. Because anything that's pagan, that's not God, has to be demons. There's, there's only two kingdoms in the world. There's a kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. Then it also says that one of the, one of the uh, we read this earlier, one of the, the problems that you run into is that uh, when you go out and you partake of their festivals and eat their food and so on, that it could be that maybe your son wants to marry one of their daughters. That's a big problem. Did you know that very much of the kashrut laws that we have have to do with, with separation? Separation of Jew and Gentile. Now, people <clears throat> look at that and they might think that is a negative, but actually it's a positive. 
Because anybody can come to your table if they're willing to serve the God of Abraham. But if they're not willing to serve the God of Abraham, and there is a specific way that we celebrate the God of, or serve rather the God of Abraham, then they're not welcome at the table. And the danger is that if you invite somebody to your table or you get invited to a, a festival, that it could be that your son might see a, a cute daughter of a pagan over there and marry her. And then what happens? Now all kind of bad things happen. You're asking yourself, why are you talking about this? I'm glad you asked. Because we are about to enter into a season of time in our nation <clears throat> that is um, celebrated by a great many people, and you're going to be invited to some, un some frankly, just to be, be honest, some, a pagan festival. You're going to be invited to a Christmas party. It's going to be a work Christmas party, maybe. Or it's going to be a family Christmas party. It's going to be your mother, your father. It's going to be your, your sister who you love, or your brother who you love. And you're going to say to them, would you like to come to my Hanukkah party? And then maybe they'll come. And then they're going to say, kind of like a reciprocate, to, to reciprocate, they're going to say to you, would you come to my Christmas party? And you have to say no. And you're going to think to yourself, well, they came to my Hanukkah party. I should have to come to their Christmas party. But a Jew can't do that. Jew can't do that. <laughs> now, you don't have to be ugly about it. When Aunt Susie, your favorite aunt in the whole wide world, the one who took care of you and sheltered you and saved you and brought you up and loves you with all of her heart, says, come to my Christmas party. You don't have to say, Aunt Susie, you pagan. I rebuke thee. Get thee behind me. I shan't come to your pagan festival. You don't have to say that. If you were Yeshai, you'd say that. <laughs> but you don't have to say that. You can just be nice, you know. You can be nice. You can find out a way to be nice and be diplomatic and the reality is you can't go. I'm just letting people know because this inevitably, and see, people, people, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm hesitating here because I don't know if I should be honest because people don't like to be honest with themselves. <clears throat> A lot of times people ask me questions they know the answer to already. They're looking for an opportunity for me to say, okay, dear rabbi, I'm sending this email. I hope you're well and having a good day. My mother, who gave birth to me and fed me and changed my little diaper, wants me desperately to come to her Christmas party. Do you think I should go? Send. I get those questions and be like, what do you think my reply is going to be? No, you cannot. Dear Rabbi, my really good friend passed away. They're having the funeral on Shabbat. Is it okay for me to go? No. That's awkward. If you look at the first class of the conversion course I give, First of all, you have to understand something. Let's see, where shall I begin? I'm not allowed to go to a Christmas party. 
I have to say this up front, right? And I want to tell you now. I want to tell you now in October, in October. And by the way, you shouldn't go to the Halloween party. I hope you know that. If you don't know that, see Ezekiel today. <laughs> Do not leave the building until you see Ezekiel if you're thinking about going to a Halloween party. Hopefully, I don't have to say that. But in case I have to, you shouldn't go. If you're watching online, cancel your plans. But I have to tell you, because I want to tell you now, so that you can prepare yourself ahead of time. It's not okay. It's not the birth of Christ. Jesus is not the reason for the season. Actually, maybe he is. But, it, but that Jesus is not the gospel, Yeshua. But most definitely has nothing to do. If, in fact, I want to tell you something. I want you to spend time over the next couple of months, not a whole lot of time, but just for informational sense. I want you to go on Facebook, and I want you to go to the Wiccan Facebook pages. And I want you to see how they celebrate Christmas. You'll be shocked that it's just like they do at Hobby Lobby. No difference whatsoever. You'll see pictures of witches decorating a Christmas tree, 100%, just like they do in homes all over the world. Now, if you need some historical basis, you're like, my gosh, we've had Christmas every time. Don't you understand, Rabbi, that Peter and John celebrated Christmas? What's wrong with you? The three wise men, come on, you, you, you don't read the story, you don't read the gospel. Don't you know that at one time in our country, Christmas was illegal? Because it was a pagan holiday? It was legal in, I wasn't going to, okay, you said it, I mean, Massachusetts. It was illegal in Massachusetts. And uh, did you know that Christmas wasn't even celebrated in Los Estados Unidos until the Civil War era? There wasn't such thing as Christmas in America until the 1860s. Today we act like Peter was the first one to erect a Christmas tree. God forbid he wasn't. But I'm telling you this, I have to tell you this, I feel compelled to tell you this, based on what we just read, that you should know. Secondly, I want to say that um, because now we're reaching out to a lot of people with Lapid Judaism, and you have family and friends, and some of you are new, and and that's wonderful. It's awesome and amazing. So I want to make, make some clarifying statements right off the bat that I don't want to be misinterpreted as being mean or ugly, but they're just clarifying. I'm just telling you what it is. I, I'm not making any negative statements because we have, we have lots of good people, lots of friends who are Christians, good people in the Messianic world, good people in the Hebrew roots world, good people in the whatever world. There's good people out there, right? They'll, I can hand them my wallet, walk away, come back, and there'll be nothing missing. Okay, that's great. Baruch Hashem. Having said that, we are not Christians. We're not part of the body of Christ. Some of you all are having theological strokes right now. <laughs> this is why I say at the beginning of my conversion class, all that Christian stuff that you have, you need to package it all up, put it in one of those boxes that says U-Haul, tape it up, and set it outside the door. That's awkward. You know, <coughs> this is how you win friends and influence people. <laughs> We're not messianics. We're not messianic. This is, this is not messianic Judaism. 
It is not, 100%. This is not Hebrew roots. We do not believe in Yahshua, and we reject that 100%. We are not sacred namers. We do not believe that you should say the divine name, and every time you do, you're blaspheming God. Okay? This seems kind of heavy. I don't mean it to be. I'm just trying to tell you what it is because I want to bring. I believe in clarity. I believe in 100% clarity. You know who you are. I know who I am, and we can start there. But if there's confusion, then that's where you have a problem. You cannot bring Christianity into the walk of Messiah because Messiah, the apostles, Paul, none of them were Christians. They were never Christians. As we understand Christianity today, they were never that. They never worshipped on Sunday. They never kept Christmas. They never ate pig for their holidays. They never wore mini skirts on stage. They, they never did any of that, okay? It's important that we know that. It's important that we get clarity. This is a time for clarity because Hashem is doing big things, and we've got to make big distinctions because what we are doing here, the world has never seen before, or at least they haven't seen it in many, many, many centuries. They've seen it for sure 2,000 years ago. As I mentioned before, there have been historical pockets of Lapid Judaism, if you will. It wasn't called that, but... Basically, believers who were 100% Jewish in their practice and believed in Yeshua. There was pockets here and pockets there throughout different points of history. I say pockets. Some of the pockets were huge, like millions of people. But they were killed out by the church. So what we're doing today is unique, and it's, it's never been seen. And listen, I've had many conversations with very, very respectable Orthodox, Orthodox, key, rabbis, and they've said to me, I can think of, off the top of my head, I can think of three specific face-to-face conversations I've had over the years, and they have said to me, we've never seen or even heard of anything like you guys before. Very important. I want you to understand how important this is, because we're about to get into some information here in a second that you've never heard before, some of you. And you'll never have been taught it before. And I want to relate to you an incident that happened to me this week that I think illustrates this point even, even more. <clears throat> I've shared it with a couple of people here. I think it's important. I, I hope this equips you. Okay? All right. Amen? All right. Baruch Hashem. Um, so we were at the uh, kosher market, and I was buying some things this week. And I'm standing there, minding my own business, while my order is being prepared. There's a gentleman standing there next to me. He notices a pin on my jacket that says Zakor. He says, what are you remembering? I said, oh, a friend of mine got that for me for Yom HaShoah, and I've had it on my jacket the whole time. So he says, okay. Steps away for a second, comes back, pulls up out of his pocket a little Zakor pin. So he shows it to me. Okay, hey, that's great. So I'm standing there, minding my own business. I can tell he's curious. He wants to know, who's this guy I haven't seen before? Which I don't know why he hasn't seen me because I'm there all the time. But anyway. Turns out he's from out of town, so Baruch Hashem. So he's there. He says, so, you affiliated with a shul around here? So I immediately pull out of my pocket a Roman track, the Roman road, and I gave it to him, and I said, do you know? No, I didn't say that. So I, 
So I said to him, I said, actually, no, I'm in Fort Worth. That's all I said. He said, all right, so uh, what's your affiliation, you know? And I said, I'm Orthodox. He said, well, that's obvious. That's <laughs> how you play hard to get. This is, how, this is how I met my wife. She came over to me and talked to me, and I said, hey. And she asked me, she said, do you come here often? I said, sometimes. That's how it worked out. <laughs> so anyway, the gentleman says to me, that's obvious. And I said, well, actually, listen. It's Lapid Judaism. We're Orthodox Jews. We believe that Yeshua is the Messiah as well. And he says, like this. Oh, 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 okay. So he, he asked me a couple of questions. So you're like that, uh, and he, he mentioned a, a prominent person's name. And I said, mm, no, no, he's a, that's a Christian. That's, that's a Christian person. And he said, well, isn't that person, have you mentioned, is, he said, isn't he with uh, Jews for Jesus or whatever? And I said, um, I don't know about that specifically. I said, but uh, we're definitely not that. We're 100% not Jews for Jesus. We are 100% not that. Believe that. <clears throat> um, I said, we're not that 100%. He goes, huh, that's weird. He said, so you eat kosher? <laughs> I, I'm ordering four pounds of sandwich meat because I don't eat kosher. I mean, anyway, so I said, yes, 100%. He goes, okay. He said, so do you believe in the New Testament? And I said, I said, well, I don't want to, you know, look. I said, the answer is yes, but not, not all of it like you think. Like, like you think all of it's, you think we think it's the Bible. It's not. Don't have a stroke out there. Okay. Um, and he says, oh, he gives another, oh, oh, okay, okay, now we're, so he's thinking that uh, I'm, I'm like playing a game or something. So I'm just, by the, understand that I didn't start this conversation, okay? I am ordering meat. Moshe is c cutting my slices. So anyway, he comes back to me and he says this, and here's the equipping part. He says, you know, Rabbi Raskin writes, or says rather, that when Mashiach comes, there is going to be one question that we ask him. Now, I realize that he, when he says this to me, he's trying to set me up for failure, right? And he says, and I said, that's interesting. What, is, what does he say? He says, he says, we're standing in front of the meat counter. He's standing here and I'm standing here, just like this. He says, he says that when Mashiach comes, he's going to ask him, has he been here before? The insinuation is he hasn't been here before, and that he'll say no, and therefore my idea is the wrong idea. And I said, that's a very interesting question. I said, however, whoever the Mashiach is, that when he comes, he will have to answer yes to that question because if he is here as Mashiach ben David, he will have to have been here before as Mashiach ben Yosef. That completely ended the question, and then we started to talk about butchering and cutting and machine and all kind of stuff. 
Now, the reason I tell you that story is because that gentleman has never heard that before from anybody who believes in Messiah Yeshua, ever. First of all, he's never seen a believer in Yeshua standing at a kosher counter. Some of you are going like, never? Never. Doesn't happen. Messianics, even the ones from Israel, don't eat kosher. Hebrew roots, don't even know what it is. I mean, no, 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 no offense. Honestly, they don't even know. They wouldn't, they wouldn't be able to tell you what it was. Same thing with the others. So I'm just telling you, I want to encourage you that what we're doing is something completely unique and very important. And this is not anywhere, anywhere near, I'm just not even in my notes. My notes have nothing to do with this whatsoever. I want to talk to you about Shemot 33. Rebbesine says, hurry. <laughs> but I felt like that this is an important point because we're coming, we're at the point of the spear of doing something unique in history. And I want you to have clarity because when we go to battle, everybody has to know what the plan is. We can't go to battle thinking we're, you're going to flank left and I'm going to flank right and Johnny's going to go down the middle and, and Josh is going to retreat. No offense, Josh. <laughs> We've got to know exactly what we're, who we are and what we're doing so that we can have those conversations. Nobody needs to see you at a Christmas party with a keep on or a tackle. And, and you might say, well, if I go there, I'll, I'll win my friend. No, you won't. No, you won't. The best thing you can do to witness to somebody is to say no. The best thing you can do. You say, I might offend them. Do you know, it's interesting that Yeshua was never concerned about offending anybody. He was only concerned with the truth. And you don't have to be ugly. You don't have to be mean. I can tell somebody I'm not a Christian without being ugly. I'm, I don't mean anything. There's good people who are Christian people. They don't, most of them don't know what they don't know, which is why I exist. So, Hasidic Insights to 33, Shemot 33. Let's just share a few things that you've probably never heard before. Most people don't, you understand that a lot of Jewish people don't, have never heard of Messiah ben Yosef. You have to understand something. When we, as, as people who come from non-Jewish backgrounds, when you see Orthodox Jewish people, you assume that they have the Talmud and the Midrash memorized by heart. You assume that. You assume that they put on a super Jew cape every morning and they fly to work. And uh, that's not true at all. It's, humans are humans are humans. When you go to Baptist seminary, you learn what Baptists want you to know. When you go to Pentecostal seminary, you learn how to jump from one chandelier to the next. I say that in love. I've been there. When you go to the Breslev Yeshiva, you learn what Breslev wants you to know. When you go to Chabad Yeshiva, you learn what Chabad wants you to know. When you go to the University of Hebrew, University of whatever, you learn what they want you to know. And so you come out knowing that doctrine. 
sometimes things aren't talked about because as I was having a conversation with somebody, and forgive me for not remembering who it was, maybe it was, Shl- I think it was Shlomo in fact, we were talking about this yesterday, a lot of times those kind of things like Messiah ben Yosef, a Messiah coming and dying for your sins, sounds too Christian. So we just kind of, we just kind of eh, let's not talk about that. Let's put that over here. You got to dig deep. I'm not even sure that the gentleman that I said that to, he may have known, but he may not have under, understood really who Messiah ben Yosef was. The purpose of me saying that to him may have been so that Hashem will pique his curiosity to go learn about Messiah ben Yosef. That could have been all that was about. So it says in Shemot 33, 14, my presence will go with you. And so this is what Rabbeinu Bakya says, my presence will go with you. Okay? So it says, when God responded and said, Panei Yeleko, my presence, Panei really is my face. So literally when it says in the, in the, in the Ivrael, and let's look at verse uh, 14. Let me turn here for a second. Verse 14 says, my presence will go with you. It says, Vayomer, Panai Yeleku. Panai, the root of that is face. So my presence is my face. So when Yeshua says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, he's saying, I am the face of God. I am the face of God. And so the faith, this is why when we come, when, we, when it talks about putting the blood on uh, the the uh, altar, as it were, the inner, the Holy of Holies altar on Yom Kippur, it talks about sprinkling the blood on the face, on the presence of God. So Rabbi Nubakia said, when God responded and said, Panai, Yeleku, this was a reference to the angel Memtet, who is the instrument by means of which the Hashem is known throughout the universe for the marvelous and sometimes dreadful events which he orchestrates. Wait a minute. Stop the presses. There is a being, there is an angel, if you will, named Memtet. We don't say his name in full because his name is holy like the Holy One. Therefore, we don't say it out loud. But there is a, 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 an angel named Memtet who is the presence of God, moreover, who is the face of God, who is God's representative in the universe. And that when people see God, they're actually seeing Memtet, but they don't identify it as an angel, they identify it as God. This is why Samson's parents, when they were talking to this man who they felt 100% was a, a, a human prophet, and then they said, wait a minute, you've given us good news about our son as we born. Let us make a sacrifice for you. And he said, all right, go for it. So he threw a, a sacrifice together, put it on the, on the altar, and it went up. The flames are going up. And all of a sudden, this man who was standing there to whom they were speaking went up in the flame. And Menachem, or Manoah, 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 said, we're going to die because we've seen God. And his wife, talking about clarity, had to say, honey, if God wanted us to kill us, we would have already died. But wait a minute, stop the presses. You're not allowed to see God and live, right? Wrong. We're about to read that, and Rabbeinu Bakia is about to break that down. 
It's just like when Hashem said, don't make an image of me. He never said, I don't have an image. See, we get that mixed up. We say because he said, don't make an image of me, it means he didn't have an image. But he never says that. In fact, we know that he has an image of some kind because the Midrash says that when God made Adam, Adam looked so much like God that the angels bowed down to him and worshipped him. Well, if God doesn't have an image, how is that Midrash even remotely true? And if that Midrash isn't true, then why are we reading the Midrash? So it says here that this angel, this, that when it says, my presence, my face will go with you, I'm going to send to you my representative that when you've seen him, you've seen me. When you're around him, you're around me. And it says here, Observing these phenomena set in motion by this angel is what is meant in Exodus 14.31 when the Torah says, Israel saw the great hand which the Lord had employed against Egypt, and the people were afraid and they believed in the Lord. They saw God's hand. His hand was Memtet. That's Yeshua. So it says, seeing that God had responded favorably to his last request, Moses now encouraged to ask for even more by saying, so he, so he already asked God for something. God said, okay, I'm going to send my presence with you. That's Memtet. And so Moses says, I've already got one answer, so let me go ahead and ask for something else. It's like a little kid, right? He said, please show me your glory. Rabbeinu Bakya brings down that in this matter, Moses did not elicit a positive response. God explaining that it was impossible to grant his request Ankelos translates the word lo as lo You cannot see the face of my Shekinah. You cannot see the face of my Shekinah. Seeing in Psalms 104:17, Shekinah is referred to in these terms. The stork makes it home in the lofty cypress, which is a simile for the far end of Etzilot a region of the celestial world. So it says, the near end of that region is understandably described as face, panim. All right. It's a little deep here, but y'all can take it. What it's talking about here is you cannot see the face of my Shekinah unless you go to the far end of the celestial world, and which is called the face. It says, when God said, there is a place beside me, he referred to the tail end of that celestial region, which is described as Etzilot, meaning that this was a region Moses would be able to see. So there is a place, you cannot see me full on, but there is a place, a narrow place that you can see my face. It's called, in fact, Panim. It says, now, this was not a new concession on the part of God, but merely a repetition in different words of what he had pre said previously when he said, I will make my goodness pass before you. So, what Moses asked for here was a, was a presence of the Shekinah in a more manifest form than what God had already spoken of in 33.2. As it says in 33.2, 
I shall send an angel ahead of you, and I'll drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Pezrite, the Hittite, the Jebusite, etc. And, and Moses was not, that, at that time, he was talking about just, just an angel. And Moses says, I don't want an angel, I want you. And God says, all right, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to send you Memtet, who is my representative. He is me, but not me, but he is, but he isn't. And then what it's saying here is that what Moses was asking for was a manifested form of the Shekinah of God. Some of y'all out there going, hmm, that's interesting. You should be, you're blowing up right now. What he was asking for was God's Shekinah to be manifest with them. God manifest with them. You realize that the Shekinah is God, right? So it says here, when he said, I will send my angel before you, the kind of angel God had referred to at that time was one of the disembodied spirits. But God now consented to Moses' request to upgrade the manifestation of the divine presence accompanying the Jewish people. He, Moses got an upgrade. He got first class. He had him in coach, but now he's in first class. He said he assured him of an upgrade involving two attributes. Who so Here's the two attributes of this Upgrade. This is why this passage of Torah is so vital. Number one, the Shekinah would remain manifest among the, this people. To this end, God said, here I will make a covenant with the people in the presence of the entire nation. In other words, wherever Memtet is, Memtet is also the Shekinah. That's where God is. This is why Yeshua said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Wherever I am, Yeshua said, there God is. That's what he's saying here. I want to remind you that I'm reading from Rabbeinu Bakya. This is not Romans. This is not Galatians. This is not Ephesians. I'm reading here from Rabbeinu Bakya's commentary. He said also, there was a reference to a special angel, angel whose presence symbolized this covenant. In other words, Memtet, that, that angel Memtet, actually symbolizes the covenant itself. The second aspect is, he added that this angel, and he has, Rabbeinu Bakia has in parentheses, we could also say Shekinah. This Shekinah, this angel, it's all the same thing. Would perform manifest miracles for the people indicating its presence. These miracles would be of the quality never before performed and witnessed by human beings, like be silent, O storm, take up your mat and walk, open up blind eyes, open up deaf ears, resurrect the dead, come forth, come forth from the tomb, Lazarus. This is why they said, if you are the Mashiach, do a miracle for us. Why? Because that's what the Shekinah did when we came out of Egypt. We want to know, are you the real deal or not? It says, the miracles would be of the quality never before seen in order to prove that Moses had attained close contact with the emanation of Teferit. So this angel, who's also the Shekinah, is also called Teferit, which means like crown or glory. This is the glory of God. Like we say, Teferit Israel is the glory of Israel. His kingship, his glory. 
Now stick with me because some people who come from different theological regions are used to hearing messages each week that just God is good. So this is like taking a fire hose, sticking it in your mouth, and turning it on. I realize that. But we've got to elevate, right? God added the particular phrase, ki norechu et ma'aseh Adonai, switching from the attribute of ne adol, which has been used so far for the, the tetragrammaton. Not only this, but the Torah should have continued in the plural, having spoken of a variety of miracles, and should have written, ki norechu. Ham et Adonai, the works of Adonai, which are awesome. The reason the Torah employs the singular that it refers to the emanation of Teferit, which is equal to the attribute of mercy. So now we have this angel who is not only the attribute of God's glory, but he's also the attribute of mercy. Now, going back to Rebbeinu Bakia to verse 20. Y'all still alive out there? All right, stick with me. 33 and verse 20 says this. We only have two more hours, so y'all got it, okay? Y'all got it, y'all got it. He said, you will not be able to see my face, for no human can see me and live. All right, God says that. That's in the word of God. If you're word of God only, you can't believe in Yeshua. Whoa, you're going to require some rabbinic commentary to make that verse mean something different. Because if you can't see God and live, then how are you a Christian and believe in the Word of God only? How can you see Yeshua and be alive today? Well, well, you can't. Oh, wait a minute. You're just now creating your own oral Torah. Be careful whenever you do that. I don't believe in the oral Torah. How do you keep Shabbat? Well, we do this. Stop. You just created oral Torah. But y'all don't want to hear that. Let's talk about this. The, from Rabbeinu Bakya Shemot 33.20. A Kabbalistic approach. For man cannot see me and remain alive. It is noteworthy, Rabbeinu Bakya says, that God did not say, Ki lo yireh oti, but he said, Ki lo yireni ha'adam ve'adonai. Had the Torah used the former wording, we would have concluded that man's inability to behold God was due to an objective reason. That is, that God had categorically ruled this out. By using the wording in front of us, the Torah made it plain that our inability to behold Him is rooted in a subjective cause. Such as, as long as man is subjective to influences originating in his body, he cannot qualify for such insights as looking upon the essence of God. In other words, it's saying here that God is not saying that you can never see me. He's saying that in your present condition, you cannot see me. Not that I can't be seen. He's, he's not saying I don't have a form. He says you, you can't make a form of me because how can you make a form of me? He didn't say I don't have a form. Never said that. What he's saying is in your present condition, you can't see me. But there is a way in which you can see me. So he says, proof that theoretically man can behold God is found in Isaiah 6 and verse 1 when he says, 
I have seen the Lord. Another verse in which seeing God is reported as something a number of people were able to do is in Exodus 24.10, when it says they saw the God of Israel. And that verse, the word et, aleph tav, listen to this. <laughs> the word aleph tav, which does not appear in our verse of ki lo yireha adam ve'adonai, gives food for thought. I have explained it in that instance that the word aleph tav in this verse in Parashat Mishpatim, which is my wife's Torah portion, refers to these people having had a vision of the Shekinah. In other words, the Aleph Tav is the Shekinah of God. The Aleph Tav, the first and the last. He's not the Alpha and the Omega. He's the Aleph Tav. We don't serve a Greek God, right? We don't serve a Greek Messiah. It says here, this is also why Ezekiel used the, the, the word Aleph Tav when describing his vision in Ezekiel 2.2. Clearly the word Aleph Tav with the vowel Zereah is a reference to a noun. That is the Shekinah of God. We find the word Aleph Tav being used in a similar capacity in Psalm 145.20. He will destroy all the wicked people where that word also refers to a, a certain attribute of God. That is the attribute of justice carrying out his retribution, seeing that the attribute of mercy is one which ensures that one who loves the Lord stays alive, as mentioned in the first half of that verse. So, to wrap it up, the word Adam in our verse is preceded by a hey, ha-adam, the, the man. Meaning that the verse speaks about someone familiar to the reader. Had the verse intended to make an all-encompassing statement about all human beings, the Torah should have just said, Adam, for man will not see my essence and live. This word has proved conclusively that God had initiated this denial of man's insight on a unilateral basis. The faith failure of the Torah to use the wording we just described makes it clear that the denial of the insight Moses requested was not rooted in the nature of the essence of God himself. Ezekiel could not have had the vision he described in the chapter of his book if the inability to see the essence of the Lord had been described by him as something absolute. This then is the true meaning of the words for man. This then is the true meaning of the phrase. Here it is. For man, such as he is, cannot see me and live. So when people say God would never manifest, he would never do that besides if he did you wouldn't be able to live he cannot we cannot see him such as we are but this is why it says in the end times we will see him as he is seen this is why when we came out of is egypt we were completely and totally holy and totally righteous on our way to receive the torah isn't that interesting we left egypt totally righteous totally saved totally born again totally clean on our way to do what? Receive the Torah. Wait a minute. God's gift to a totally pure, totally redeemed, totally born again people, totally saved people was his Torah, not the other way around. See, theology today teaches that we had the Torah and he had to wrestle it out of our hands in order to save us. But the Bible teaches that he actually saved us and then gave us his Torah. 
It's amazing when we read the scripture how it destroys our theology. Isn't that odd that we read the Bible and it destroys our doctrine? And a lot of people, a lot of people don't like that. A lot of people are so in love with their doctrine and their theology that they will refute the Bible. Do you know how they do it? But Paul said. I know what God said, but Paul said. Think about that first thing at Selah. And then they'll turn around and tell you they're Word of God only people. Don't believe in oral interpretation. But a man's letter just overturned the entire book of Deuteronomy. But they don't believe in the it's Word of God only. Yeah. The cleft of the rock, he said, I'll hide you in the cleft. This, there's nothing light about today's message. I'm just telling you right there. But y'all have been in the sukkah all week. Y'all should be prepared for this. You've been, uh, uh. So it says here, Shemot 33, 22, cleft. He's going to put him in the cleft. Why does the scripture say he's going to put him in the, in the cleft of the rock? Why does it say that? Because everything in Torah has meaning. It says cleft is nakara. It literally means a hole. The root of that verb is to pierce. The cleft was a hole made in the rock by a piercing. In other words, in order to see God, in order to understand him fully, he had to take us and put us in the place of the piercing. And by the way, this, it wasn't just any old rock. He didn't, God didn't just say, oh, look, there's a rock over there. No, it was the rock, Hazur. It was the rock that followed us around the wilderness and gave us the water, which the Apostle Paul identifies in concert with all rabbis as the Messiah. In other words, this was also the well of Miriam. So let me get this straight. So the rock, which, by the way, was made out of flint circumcision, was our well, our miraculous well. God made a piercing in that rock and hit us in that so that we could see him. John 20 and verse 25 and 27 says, The other disciples were saying to him, We've seen the Lord. But he replied to him, Unless I've seen the nail prints in his hand, and put my finger into the mark of his nails, and put my hand in his side, I'll never believe. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, look at my hands, reach your hand and put it into my side, stop doubting and believe. He had to put Thomas into the piercing of the rock in order that he could see what God wanted him to see. Well, I don't know what to say after that. I've got pages of notes here, but... I don't think y'all can take much anymore. So what does it say? Baruch haba, Bashem Adonai. <laughs>